Welcome to AQR's The Curious Investor. I'm Dan Villalon. And I'm Gabe Fagali. On this show, we break down some of the most important ideas in finance to help us make better investment decisions. Today, we're giving some love to the bond world. It feels like investors focus a lot on stock markets. But the reality is, bond markets are about as large, if not larger. And bonds are a big part of a traditional portfolio. We're focusing on bonds because they've fallen out of favor with a lot of investors. And one reason is yields on all sorts of bonds are pretty low today. So we want to investigate why you might still want bonds in your portfolio. And we're going to get into a big topic for bond investors, interest rates. So we're bringing along two people who think about interest rates a lot. I'm Michael Mendelson, uh, principal at AQR. I'm David Coopersmith. I'm a principal at AQR. I work on discretionary macro. Michael and David will walk us through what interest rates are, where they might move, and how they affect investment portfolios. Different bonds have different interest rates. You'd expect riskier bonds to have higher interest rates and safer bonds to have lower ones. But there's one rate in particular that can influence all of them. The rate at which the government, in the short term, can borrow money. That interest rate is often referred to as the risk-free rate. Because the idea is that when you lend money to a creditworthy government for a very short period, they will almost definitely pay you back. So that's the minimum return an investor might expect, because there's so little risk involved. Yields on any kind of bond, government or corporate, short-term or long-term, can be heavily influenced by this risk-free rate. You can think of it as being like an anchor for all sorts of other interest rates. And David Coopersmith says investors and economists watch the risk-free rate closely because it hints at how central banks see their economies. If interest rates are low, it could indicate that they're purposely trying to stimulate the economy, that they think either growth or inflation is too low, and they need to bring the rate down to get people to invest, to get people to consume, you know, to get the economy moving. If interest rates are very high, it could mean the opposite, that they think the economy is moving too fast or inflation is too high and that they need to do something about it. The idea is that if interest rates are low, in other words, if it's cheap to borrow, companies and consumers will take out more loans and spend more. And it also works in the opposite scenario. If the economy is growing at an unsustainable rate, the central bank can bump up interest rates and people will borrow less and spend less. That helps the economy get back down to a healthy level of growth or inflation. So let's talk about today. Ever since the financial crisis, we've been in a period of low interest rates. But how low are we really? We asked Michael Mendelson to put things in perspective. Are today's low yields, either real or nominal, are they unprecedented? No, no, not quite. I mean, they're low. But if you look like post-war period, and nowadays I find I have to remind people post-war means post-World War II. <laughs> um, is that, is, you know, coming out of the war, uh, U.S. Uh, 10-year Treasury yields were about 1.45. I think they hit about that number in the year or two after the war. And it is precedented, uh, but it's about as low as it's gotten. So yields aren't the lowest ever, but they're still near rock bottom. You'd have to go back over 70 years to find lower rates than in the last decade. And if they do go up, that's bad news for bond investors. As new debt is sold at a higher interest rate, the bonds that investors already hold, which have lower interest rates, are now less attractive. So their prices fall. 
And conventional wisdom says those interest rates and yields have to go up. I mean, they're so low now that there's really only one direction they can move. Well, not exactly. The fact is, bond yields aren't as predictable as you might think. We asked Michael how predictable they actually are. About as predictable as stock returns. <laughs> uh, so not very predictable. Uh, we, we, we look at this every year, actually. We put together a chart that we get a kick out of where we show uh, where bond yields have moved versus where the expectations were. And we look at that over, you know, maybe a 25-year history. And what you see is the forecasters uh, seem to miss far more often than they hit, uh, even if you give them a lot of latitude. It's very, very difficult to predict bond yields. And most of the time when people try, they get it wrong. David has a theory about why that is. I think the forecasters have made, made a serious structural mistake in the forecasts over the last 30 years. And that was the idea that, you know, that they were going to revert to previous levels. So you have a recession, the yields came down, they would assume it would go back up to where it was pre-recession. People assume bond yields will revert to their historical mean. That when rates are below average, they'll rise and vice versa. But that's just not what we've seen. Okay, but you could still argue that rates are low and there's not much room for the Fed to send them any lower. Michael says not so fast. If you look over the last bunch of recessions, the average cut in Fed funds rate has been about 5%. Today, the Fed funds rate is meaningfully less than 5%, which suggests that if we entered a recession now, typical policy would be for the Fed to impose negative interest rates. Yeah, you heard that correctly negative interest rates. I mean, even a 0% interest rate is enough to make an investor queasy. Years ago, when rates were kind of on their way down after the crisis, investors would, would say to us, you know, is there a point where yields would fall where uh, you wouldn't want to hold bonds in a portfolio? And, you know, at the time we thought, well, I'm not sure where it would be, but I suppose if rates fell to zero, it'd be pointless. And it was a kind of a glib answer, I guess, and I think the way that a lot of the world worked because the world hadn't really thought through uh, what it meant to have uh, zero interest rates. So consider what happens when you're starting with low interest rates and then a recession hits. Naturally, the central bank will want to stimulate the economy. But what if they want to send rates lower than zero? Say, for example, interest rates were negative 3%. That means if I put $100 in the bank... One year later, I'll have $97. The bank is literally charging me a fee just to hold my money. On the other hand, if I borrow $100, I only have to pay back $97. I'm getting paid to borrow, which sounds like a crazy world. Well, there is one guy who might disagree with you. No, it isn't a crazy world at all. It's, it's a world where a lot of people want to save money and uh, not enough people want to borrow it. That's Miles Kimball, a professor of economics at the University of Colorado Boulder. There are a lot of scenarios where negative interest rates could have been much kinder to savers than zero interest rates, negative interest rates for a short time instead of zero rates for a long time. Miles is arguing for the power of temporary negative interest rates. Let's break down what this means with an example of a savings account. Think of two scenarios where you have $100 and an eight-year investment horizon. In the first scenario, interest rates are 0% for the full eight years. So you put your $100 in the bank, and at the end of eight years, you have the same $100. In scenario two, 
Interest rates are at negative 5% for the first year, but positive 1% for the next seven years. So at the end of the first year, you have only $95. But over the full eight-year period, you end up with more than $100, even though you did have one year of losses at the beginning. Miles even argues that the economy would have been better off in the global financial crisis if we had immediately dropped interest rates to negative levels. But even if that math makes sense, people are still very skeptical about negative interest rates in times of crisis. The funny thing is, nobody ever doubted that interest rate cuts would be a powerful stimulus to the economy. And then suddenly, when you get to negative rates, people start doubting it. Miles' ideas might sound like they're coming out of left field, but here at AQR, David thinks there's something to them. So the idea would be that the reason we're in a recession is because people are overly cautious, that they don't want to invest in projects that would otherwise be good because they're so afraid about the economy or they're so possessive of their cash. They want to maintain, you know, all of their cash. They're very, very risk averse. And by making rates negative, it would penalize them so much for being risk averse that potentially they would start investing or spending again. Sounds plausible in theory, but the political backlash to this could be pretty fierce. Imagine a central bank imposes negative interest rates, savers losing money. People would go nuts. But Miles says it doesn't have to be that way. One of the big things that I move towards advocating is that small-scale savers be shielded from the negative rates. And I think that's what would have also made it uh, less problematic politically. So basically up to some limit of a few thousand dollars in their checkings and savings accounts, the Fed or other central bank could easily give banks the incentives to provide zero interest rates rather than negative rates. Miles is saying that negative interest rates don't have to be imposed on everybody to be useful for economic stimulus. And while all this negative interest rate stuff might sound interesting in theory, we actually have a practical example of it. There's a test ground for Miles' hypothesis. Switzerland. In Switzerland, short-term interest rates, as of this recording, are at negative 75 basis points. And Swiss banks haven't gone out of business. Most Swiss citizens aren't pulling their money out of banks and stuffing it under mattresses. One thing is it's not that easy in the first place. I mean, one, one thing that gave the Swiss National Bank the courage to go ahead with the minus three quarters percent uh, negative rates is they did a little research and found, hey, it's not so easy to insure, uh, you know, billions of francs in paper currency. So they said, OK, it's not going to be that easy for people to store paper currency. In other words, the Swiss banks could creep the rates a little below zero because even if savers were losing some money in their bank accounts, the alternative was walking around with bags of cash but there's still a limit to how low rates can go. I think everybody agrees that if interest rates were at negative 10% and all the rules and the customs about paper currency were the way they are now, everybody and their dog would be making big piles of paper currency to get a zero interest rate. An important point is that negative interest rates can only be imposed through electronic currency. And we live in a world where paper currency is still an option which means for very negative interest rates to work, you'd really need paper currency to get way less popular. Miles has a few ways to tackle this, and you can check out some of his papers on our website at aqr.com curious. So all this is interesting central bank policy, but what does it mean for investors? Sure, interest rates are low, 
But a recession could always send them lower. So how low does it go? That floor is something David says more and more economists are revisiting. I think if you would ask people, you know, 10, 15 years ago, how far rates could go negative, they would say not very much, you know, five basis points, 10 basis points, maybe. Um, and even that would be temporary. Then, you know, a few years ago, you asked him, well, maybe negative 20, maybe negative 40, negative. It keeps getting lower. The floor keeps getting lower on, on, on what it is. And it may be that the floor is considerably lower than, than we even think now. Bottom line is, we need to reconsider the notion that bonds are a bad investment in a low interest rate environment. Rates don't just have to go up, they could go down too. And Michael says more and more people are coming around to that. I think this is one area where more than anything else we've seen illusion shattered of uh, how we all thought about what bonds were and, uh, and what the natural bonds were on interest rates. To be clear, we're not claiming that rates are going to go down. Bond markets are really hard to predict, even for professionals. What we are saying is that no matter what rates are today, there's still a strong strategic case for having bonds in your portfolio. So bonds, you know, on average over a long period of time are pretty much uncorrelated to stocks. Uh, they're pretty much always something that, that helps a portfolio in total. Bonds in general can be strong diversifiers to stocks. And like any diversifier, they may be able to improve a portfolio's risk-adjusted return. And that may be the case regardless of the interest rate environment. If you want to learn more about investing in a low-rate environment, head over to our website at aqr.com curious. And if you want to let us know how low you think bonds can go, send an email to curious at aqr.com. Next time, we're going back to the world of equities to address three famous debates. Diversification, market timing, and whether stocks make good inflation hedges. It's entirely possible that both the stock and the bond pieces of the portfolio do poorly. So in that sense, inflation can often be one of the biggest risk exposures of the overall portfolio. Thanks for listening to The Curious Investor. I'm Gabe Figali. And I'm Dan Villalon. See you next time, folks. The views expressed in this recording are the personal views of the participants as of the date indicated and do not necessarily reflect the views of AQR itself. Nothing contained in this recording constitutes investment, legal, tax, or other advice, and it should not be viewed as a current or past recommendation or solicitation of an offer to buy or sell any securities or to adopt any investment strategy. The information in this recording is based on current market conditions, which will fluctuate and may be superseded by subsequent market events or for other reasons. AQR does not assume any duty to update forward-looking statements. The information in this recording has been developed internally and or obtained from sources believed to be reliable. However, no representation or warranty, express or implied, is made or given by or on behalf of AQR as to the accuracy and completeness or fairness of the information contained in this recording. Any liability as a result of this recording, including any direct, indirect, special, or consequential loss or damage, is expressly disclaimed. Copyright 2018, AQR Capital Management, LLC. All rights reserved. Michael, can you introduce yourself, please? Uh. 
thanks, Dan. Uh, let me try again because I just cleared my throat as, as I was starting. It's going to be a long day. You know, they, they edit that out, so you, yeah. can, you can clear your throat all you want and not keep, worry about it.